Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. It's always a privilege to be able to have uh, Dean Kirshner with us. And um, if you need a Bible this morning, uh, just wave at one of our ushers. They've got some in their hand, and uh, they'll be happy to pass one to you. Maybe you've forgotten yours. Um, just wave at them, and they'll pass a the Bible to you. I tell you where to turn in it, but I don't know. Dean will let you know that in a minute, all right? But it's, it's been a privilege to know Dean over the last 25 years and, um, and just to watch God at work in and through him. Uh, he's a very special part of this church. Some of you maybe don't know Dean. A lot of you do know. Um, but it's always great to have him come. He's part of Gospel Link, and many of you know what Gospel Link is, but it's a ministry, a mission ministry that supports national pastors and the training, equipping, providing resources for national pastors um, all over the world, um, primarily, most of it in Africa, but also in Ukraine and other places. And so, um, but this morning as Dean comes, and I always love when he comes, like, Dean, just want you to preach, share God's word with the people. So he's going to do that this morning and whatever else God's laid on his heart. Let's give Dean a welcome as he comes. Well, it is a privilege to be here. For those of you who don't know, during the Sunday school hour, the 9.30 hour, I had a chance to share what God is doing in Africa. I, I know it's not me. The Lord used me to propel it and to initiate it, but just like one wheel in a clock, it doesn't run on one wheel, does it? There's very, very many parts. There's people on the ground. There's people who support there's people who go there's people who implement there's people who manage there's people who pray and there's the lord of the harvest that brings it together and it is a joy i know that there's when you walk out the double doors there's a little video that uh, features the orphanage and the agricultural project that i'm in charge of and there's also some brochures and some things about what's going on in africa if you're like me i never had a bleeding heart for africa you know and I would see the advertisements for Ethiopia or these poor kids in the ghetto and that, you know, why do they just put those up there to try to get money out of me? And I mean, I didn't have much money anyway and I don't know these people and I can give, but it's not gonna, I mean, there'll just be another picture up there, right? And so I didn't have a heart for Africa, but the Lord led me to Russia and I married a Russian wife and I speak the Russian language and I lived in Moscow for five years, so that's why I'm working in Africa, right? <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? But uh, God is at work. Remember when Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God? A lot of times we think, in America, we think that's build the kingdom of God. We hear things like kingdom work, and we're involved in kingdom work. He didn't say, go build the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God means find out where God is working and get involved. That's what that means. And I'm not saying there's not a place for work. I'm not saying that kingdom work is necessarily an unbiblical term, but I think sometimes we have the idea that we're going to go do God's work. And uh, Jesus said, you follow me. You follow me. You walk with me. I'll make you a fisherman. You abide in me. I'll bear fruit. You know, we want to go do all the work. And so I'm experiencing that honestly. And this church is really the biggest supporter in the United States for that orphanage over there. We're very, very grateful for you. We're very, very grateful for what you do, uh, not only as a church body, but uh, people have been there and people have given individually. And I'm always, always grateful. You're the, like the Philippians to me. Paul loved the Philippians. You know, he chewed everybody out except the Philippians. You know, when he write the book of Philippians, he's oh, I miss you guys. I'm rejoicing. I'm confident he has begun a good work and you will perform it at the day of Jesus Christ. And he, said, he, just, he loves the Philippians in many, many ways. Uh, many of you individuals as my friends and co-laborers in this work in Africa are, are my Philippians. And I'm grateful for your generosity. I'm grateful for your participation. I'm grateful that you care about these little children who now in Africa I know personally. So thank you for that. Again, if you don't know much about it, I have a newsletter on the back that I wrote about Harvest Hope Home. You can read that article. You can sign up for a newsletter, do different things. Other people around here know how to get involved. So when I come to share the word of God, there is conviction and there's exhortation and there's sometimes a comforting and a, a healing. I tend to be an encourager, if you've heard me speak before. And God gave me this message several months ago, and so I called Troy. I said, well, I need to get down there to, uh, I need to get down there to Florida and practice this, practice this sermon out. 
but it's not just, I, I tend not to preach something I learn academically or intellectually. I tend to speak something out of my heart, out of my mind. So this is a message prepared somewhat from my life. Do, does our PowerPoint work back there, Matt? All right, well, we'll get it up here. This is uh, not necessarily the text verse, but this is sort of a uh, springboard. Philippians 3.18. This is not a happy verse. Paul said that, uh, I tell you, this is writing to the Philippians, he says, I tell you that there are people out there who have served with me in the gospel, and I now tell you, weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Probably all of you, if you have any age behind you, know some people who used to go to church with you, who you used to pray with, who are not doing that today. They're not in church, they're not praying. In fact, they don't want to talk about God. It, most of them or many of them it's moral choices where they gave in to lust or they gave in to their own frustrations and have gone a different path and so the remembrance of church brings a guilt to them it brings a condemnation to them they don't want to repent from their sin they don't want to talk about God now death again when you're laying on the deathbed that has a way of changing that doesn't it and God is so merciful to give some people an opportunity to lay on their deathbed and confess. Not everyone gets that opportunity. And not all people that are on their deathbed take advantage of that mercy. But Paul is grieving and crying as he thinks through the people. And I think of the psalm. There was, David said, I went with you to the house of God. We ate bread together. You know, in the South, they call it dinner on the ground. I don't know if they do that here anymore. But uh, they, uh, I didn't know what dinner on the ground was. I mean, that was a... a picnic and in new england we didn't have dinner on the ground because there's snow on the ground half the time so or mud the other half of the year so we had uh, we had fellowship suppers but these people i've had fellowship with these people i love these people that are together are no longer with me in my spirit and maybe i have occasional conversation or maybe we exchange christmas cards or maybe we run into each other but they're enemies of the cross of christ in other words the passion i have for jesus the commitment i have to jesus like pastor troy said this morning how i kneel and submit to the cross before jesus i look around and my friend is not there anymore now this verse enemy of the cross of christ is not necessarily charles darwin it's not necessarily richard dawkins we're not talking about committed atheists what is an enemy of the cross of christ an enemy of the cross of christ is someone not willing to carry it i don't think paul's talking about the secular humanists that want to erase god in god we trust off the money i think he's talking about people who know who god is who know the power of the resurrection and yet are no longer willing to bring sacrifices of righteousness to him who are no longer willing to yield themselves as instruments who are no longer willing to say yes lord you are lord of their time or their music or their money or their future or their relationships and they say, no, that cross hurts too much. I'm not happy. Brothers and sisters, you didn't get married to be happy. You think you did, but God had you get married to make you holy. And that's biblical. I'm not saying God wants us miserable, but God will gladly sacrifice your happiness to perfect the inward man to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. I can document that to you biblically, historically, and personally. Happiness is a wonderful byproduct, but it isn't the goal. Now, that's not something that's going to get me on the radio in America, is it? I'm not going to sell many books by telling you Christianity will not make you happy. But Jesus said, take up a cross. That's not a happy symbol. That's a sign of suffering and denial and shame and loss. And there are people who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't want to go that way. They don't want to fight that fight. Now, I lived in Russia for over five years with a tremendous, wonderful, godly team of young people from all over the United States. And these people were not wishy-washy, casual, cultural Christians. They came to Moscow, Russia to pass out Bibles. They endured the snow and the frost where your eyes bleed. They don't really bleed, but they water, don't they, Troy? And 
And we were there to give the former communists and this culture that had denied God for 70 years an answer. And we were in schools and in orphanages and on streets passing out the Bibles and talking about the Word of God. And we had great fellowship together. Some of the deepest, truest, richest fellowship you'll have with people is people with whom you do spiritual things. There's a camaraderie when you build a house together. There's a camaraderie when you get together and put a quilt together. There's a camaraderie when you make a meal together. God made somehow for labor and work to bind us together. But the deepest and most fulfilling work, especially on a long term, is, is spiritual. Where I'm working to reach this village with the gospel. Where I'm working to try to get Bibles into North Korea. Or where I'm, again, in our situation, where we were there under the Department of Education to make the gospel known in as many schools as possible. We would come back and we would pray for the children that we had met. We would pray for each other. We would pray for the children we were going to meet tomorrow. We'd ask God to do things in each other's lives. Today, 25 years later, many of those people are enemies of the cross of Christ. I would not say the majority, but shockingly, in my life, as I look back, people that love the Lord are no longer carrying a cross of Christ. And I have thought and meditated and mused on this as I raised my own children, as I look around the church. It's not just the people with whom I was in Russia. It's the people I went to church with five years ago, two years ago. Why are people enemies of the cross of Christ? Why do they walk away? What, what are some symptoms? If I go into the doctor's office and I have a headache, I want to know, is it an aneurysm coming? Is it a brain tumor? Is it high blood pressure? Is it muscle tension? Tell me, tell me what, what's, what's the problem. A good doctor can, with the CAT scans, the MRIs, do some diagnosis, find out what ails you. So what I've got for you this morning are four things to look for. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. And I know the, the temptation here is, well, I don't need to do that because I'm a certain age, or I don't need to do that because I've got to a certain place. And none of these, I would say, are in the Ten Commandments. Thus saith the Lord, you must do these. But this is a little bit of an exhortational, meta, spiritual, not medical, but spiritual checkup. And if these things aren't present in your life, you, from my perspective and from what I, from what I read in the Scriptures, are in some jeopardy of falling by the wayside, what we would call spiritual washout. Next slide. Okay. I don't like the name of this, but it says keys to how to fail spiritually. I couldn't, that's such, such a negative title, isn't it? If you can come up with a better title, please come see me afterwards. That may, I'll know you were thinking. Because I thought and thought and thought of this, and I don't like to be negative, but call it whatever you, we can reverse it in a positive frame somehow. But I've seen four things specifically that are present in the lives of people who eventually turn away from carrying the cross. Number one, fear man. I'm not talking about being afraid of the guy in the alley. I'm talking about being afraid of what people think. Next slide, Proverbs 29. The fear of man brings a snare. A snare is something you hide out near the path or out in the woods to catch that rabbit. To catch that raccoon who's getting into your corn or to catch the rat who's getting the grain. And the enemy is setting snares for you because he doesn't want you walking a path of fruitfulness. He doesn't want you walking with God. He doesn't want you making an impact as salt and light. And so he's setting a snare. If I'm a rescuer and I'm going out into the woods to rescue people and I get caught in a snare, I, I'm, I'm kind of caught, aren't I? I'm not going to keep going. In fact, I'm going to spend most of my time trying to unsnare myself. And I'll tell you, in black and white, the fear of man casts a snare. You know what the fear of man is? Worried about what people think about you. Now you think about this. The car you drive, the house you live in, this is a big one, the clothes you wear. How many of those things do you purchase based on what other people are going to think of you? That's the fear of man. Now, I can't tell you where to draw the line in your personal life. 
But I will tell you this, the fear of man casts a snare. And the more we start thinking about what do other people think, what do other people think, what do other people think, the more difficulty we're going to have focused on the cross. Do you think Jesus was worried about what other people thought when he went to the cross? How many of you know, have ever heard of Punchinello? Do you know who Punchinello is? Okay, a few of you. Most of you don't know who Punchinello is. Next slide, because you don't know what a Wemmick is. But Punchinello de demonstrates the fear of man. I'm a little bit of a storyteller, and I love this story. story. Basically, Wemmicks are little wooden people that are crafted, and they go around all day, and they have a little box. Inside the little box are gold stars and gray dots. And if you, next slide, if you are smart and funny and educated and a great athlete, guess what you get? you get a little gold star. The Wemmicks come along and they put a little gold star. And pretty soon, people have five or six gold stars. You know, if you get enough gold stars, people will come along and just give you another gold star because you have a lot of gold stars, right? These are the New England Patriots of the Wemmick world, kind of. <laughs> Next slide. Unfortunately, in that little box, every Wemmick has lots of gray dots. And the gray dots go to people or other Wemmicks who can't sing very well or who are not very funny or not very pretty or not very tall or not very athletic or they don't do well in school or they come from a family that's not put together as well and this is Punchinello. Punchinello is a Wemmick and he wants gold stars badly and so he goes out and he races and he runs and he competes and he tries to study but you know what he does? He gets C's and D's. Punchinello gets, he falls down when he tries to jump. And so when he falls down, they give him a gray dot. And he tries to explain that I, I didn't mean to fall down. I was really trying to do this, but he stumbles over the words and can't express himself. And they laugh and give him another gray dot. All of you went to junior high with lots of people with gray dots, didn't you? I just heard in a course this last week 99 to 100% of people can remember a traumatic childhood experience that occurred to them, usually in junior high or younger, that was negative and still affects them emotionally. Next slide. One day, Punchinello meets a girl named Lucia. Lucia is unique in that she has no gold stars and she has no gray dots. And Punchinello says, how come you don't have any gray, star, gray, gray dots? I wish I could be like you. But then she, he, she says, you don't have any gold stars, do you? Do, how come people don't give you stars or dots? And she laughs. She says, oh, people come up and give me stars and dots all the time. In fact, sometimes people give me dots because I don't have any gold stars. He said, but you don't have any? She says, that's right. They don't stick to me. They don't stick to you? How in, the world do you how, how in the world do you keep them from sticking to you? She says, oh, that's easy. I go see Eli. Next slide. Punchinello's never heard of Eli. She says, Eli is the woodcarver. He's the one that made us. He lives up there on the hill. Isn't that Interesting. Punchinello has lived all his life in Wemmick world in sight of Eli, his maker, and doesn't even know he's there. Punchinello's never really heard of Eli. He doesn't know much about Eli. And Lucia says, I go see Eli every day. And he's not so sure, but she says, go see him, go see him. You can talk to him about the stars and the dots, but he's a little nervous. What will he say? How will I get in? Maybe he won't like me because I have so many gray dots. And he deliberates on this and he thinks about this for a while. But finally he gets the courage. Next slide, he goes up to see Eli. And he comes into the woodshop and he's scared. He's scared it's so big. It's so large. He's so uncomfortable. He's obviously busy. And he's, he walks in and he's already set to go. And Eli says, Punchinello, I'm glad you came. I've been waiting for you. <gasps> Are you you know my name? He says, of course I know your name, Punchinello. I made you. But, but, I, I, I have so many gray dots, I didn't think you'd want to come see me. 
Oh, Eli laughed. as Punchinello, I've been waiting for you. Next slide. He said, you know, those gray dots and those gold stars don't mean anything to me. They don't? No. And they shouldn't mean anything to you. Who do those other Wemmicks think they are by going around giving gold stars and gray dots? Punchinello says, I met, a, I met another Wemmick named Lucia. She didn't have any gold stars. She didn't have any gray dots. He says, that's right. Because the gray dots and the gold stars only have power to stick to you if you let them. Lucia only cares about what I think. That's why they don't stick to her. Oh, really? Next slide. He says, Punchinello, I love you. I made you the way you are. I have a purpose and I have a plan for your body, for your intellect, for your future. And if you come here every day, I will begin to breathe truth into you and show you my perspective. And as you learn to accept what I tell you, the gray dots won't stay. Really? Yes, Punchinello. You see, I love you. Next slide. And as Punchinello walks out the door, in his heart he says, I think I believe him. And one of the gray dots falls to the ground. What is Punchinello? He's not a Wemmick. He's a human being, isn't he? And we're running around trying to get gold stars by what we own or what we achieve or how we behave or what other people think about us. And we're trying to cover up the gray dots or minimize the gray dots or not talk about the gray dots and the fear of man casts a snare. You can't fear God and man. Next slide. What does Paul say? This is one of the most... I can see Paul writing this verse. He's passionately writing his testimony to the people in the territory of Galatia. It's a big area. He knows some of the... A lot of the people know him, but he knows some people don't. And so he writes his testimony about how he went to Arabia and how he met with Peter and he's, he's giving a defense of his apostleship. But right at the beginning, right at the beginning, he says, look, do you think I persuade men or God? Whom am I working for? Do you think I seek to please men? It's a rhetorical interrogation. You really think I'm trying to please men? I tell you, if I pleased men, I would not be the servant of God. Folks, that's black and white. You can't please man and please God. Now, some of you have a difficult marriage because you're married. <laughs> I love my marriage, and sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes I want to please my wife. And sometimes I have come to the point where God has said, you know, you have to please her or me. It's like, wow, that's a tough one to pick between. I mean, my wife is not an enemy of the cross of Christ. She's my helpmate. She's my best friend. She's my supporter. But sometimes, even in our closest relationship, I have to decide, does God want me to do this or want me to do this? Now, I will, I'll, I'll put a little caveat in this. When I realize the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and it disagrees with something my wife is saying, I go to her and I don't put her under the gun, but I say, sweetheart, this is what I sense God saying to me. And my wife and her meekness and her relationship with me won't always agree, but she'll say, okay, all right, let's go with this. Now, you don't stand over your spouse and say, well, God spoke to me, so you better listen, by golly. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not talking, that's a different sermon, okay? We're talking about the fear of the Lord. If I'm more interested in pleasing my wife, my girlfriend, my teacher, my father and mother, some of you are still fighting and striving for the approval of your father and mother and they're not even here.
You have to please God or you won't be the servant of Him. Fear man. The more you fear man, the more you begin to drift away from who Christ was. The more you begin to see things through man's perspective and you begin to walk man's way rather than God's path. Number two. A key of how to fail spiritually, walk alone. Walk alone. Now think about this. This in some ways is an America phenomenon. We have created John Wayne and we've created Indiana Jones and I mean we even call him the Lone Ranger, right? He's all by himself out there killing all the bad guys. I was a realist as a kid and you watch Roy Rogers or Gene Autry, he's like, well, how does one guy kill all of them? You'd think in one of the movies he'd eventually get nicked sometime or at least have his cowboy hat fall off. You know, that doesn't happen in Hollywood. And we have this, we have this awe and inspiration of people who can go it alone, who can be by themselves. And I mean, the song, we did, I did it my way. That's not biblical. Now, we've all heard, next slide, we've all heard of the footsteps, right? I'm out there walking on the sand and I look back on my life and there, Lord, how come there's only one pair of footsteps? You left me. And the Lord says, no, I carried you. Well, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, the Lord promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a beautiful and endearing poem. That's precious, and I love this. But I'm talking about other people. Other people. God made the church. Paul's very clear that the church is made up of different members. We don't see biological bodies walking around with just torsos or just legs or, or just heads rolling down the aisle. I mean, a body works together and yet we see churches that are broken and fragmented and, and disunified and I know we have contention and we have politics and we have different opinions about chairs and heating and, and, and spending finances, all kinds of disagreements. I'm, I'm talking on a deeper level though here, Okay. I'm not talking about walking down the beach. I'm talking about, next slide. I'm talking about this. Folks, we are at spiritual war. And I don't mean politically. I don't mean culturally. You have demons and principalities and devils that hate your body. They hate your marriage. They hate your God. And this isn't a game. Spiritual warfare is tragic and devastating. You can't walk alone or, there's, or, or what happens? Next slide, right? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, if one falls, then the one will lift up his fellow, right? That's what the slide says. But woe to him that is alone when he falls and has not another to help him up. I, I, I would suspect that the majority of you and I'm not condemning you as, as life church, just, just you're Americans. The majority of you have things in your life that nobody knows about. You're walking alone. Now, I'm not talking about coming up here and airing your dirty laundry and telling all the secret sins that you're struggling with, but you need to find someone with whom to walk. It's, you weren't designed to walk alone. What happens when you're going to fall? You say, well, you know, I'm going to get to the place where I don't fall so hard or I don't fall so much rubbish next slide we're all under attack we're all being shot at there is a time in your life where you're the guy carrying and there's a time in your life where you're the guy being carried you know how I know that next slide a just man falls seven times don't try to fool me or yourself and say, well, I, I just, I, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'm going to do the best. I, I can handle this. We can't. We need other people in our lives so that when we fall, someone is there to pick us up. You know, there is a beautiful ministry of helping people with broken souls and drug addiction and broken relationships. We as the people of God need to be involved in that ministry. 
But there's also something to spiritual nutrition, isn't there? I mean, when my child cuts his finger with the knife, I'm going to rush him to the doctor. I'm going to get in the Band-Aid. But why didn't I tell him how to use the knife in the beginning? Let me give you something practical with this. Next slide, okay? I met Alex um, Kendricks. And uh, he, he, we were at a setting, and he said, my, this is my accountability partner. There's another man. And Alex Kendrick is the man that uh, did Courageous and War Room and the different movies there. So I thought, well, that's interesting because I've often been taught about accountability, and I've often believed in accountability, but usually accountability was me coming and telling all the bad things I'd done. And that wasn't very comfortable after a while, and sometimes people didn't know how to respond to it or didn't work with it, and it was just difficult. So I asked him, I said, well, what do you do in accountability? He says, Alex and I get together once a week. Sometimes we can't get together personally, but we pick up the phone and we talk about these four issues. We talk about four things. We want, one, we said, what is God teaching you? You don't say, what did you read in the Bible? How many verses did you memorize? You just, we just, what's God teaching you? And then we find out, well, I am reading the word or I am listening to some good sermons or I did have time with the Lord or I heard the Holy Spirit's voice. You know, I mean, think of this. When I went to church, we talked about the football game. We ought to talk about these. What is God teaching you this week? Do you have anyone in your life with whom you share on a regular basis what you're learning from the Lord? And if not, why not? We're not living in North Korea. We're not living in Vietnam. you got freedom to share. Number two, how are your key relationships? If you're married, hey, how are things going with your wife? Again, not everyone you can share that with, maybe. But you ought to have someone to talk about it with. If you're not married, well, how, what's, what's, what girl are you interested? What young man are you dreaming about? You know, I at 16 years old, I would come home, and my dad would say, well, tell me about the love throbs of the high school now. Oh, that was all I needed. I'd go on and on and on and on, and I'd tell him who liked who and who liked who and who I was talking to and who I was interested in, and dad would usually fall asleep. <laughs> Mom, she would stay up. This was right down Mom's alley. You know, so she would but I had someone to talk to. My parents, I talked to my parents about different infatuations and different people, and you know they had a little bit better character evaluation than I did. Well, we're not too sure about that girl. Oh, no, you just don't know her, right? But at least I had someone to talk to. Number three, how's work going? You know, sometimes we don't want to dump the pressures of our work on our spouse, Right? Maybe, women, you're being pressured in certain ways that you're not, you don't feel comfortable telling your husband about. I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell, you should keep things secret from your spouse, but you need someone else in your life that you can bounce these things off. There's enough pressures in the marriage without bringing in work pressure. How are things going? Where, where, where are you going? What's the plan? How are they treating you? Number four, how is your health? You know, it's sad to me to realize that in this country, health food and health consciousness has been taken over by the Eastern religions. I mean, we're the ones that understand the body to be the gift of God and the temple of God. We ought to be talking to each other about our health. I've got a, one of my best friends lives in Michigan, and he's 100 pounds overweight. No one in church talks to him about it, but I do. I said, listen, how much did you exercise? How much ice cream did you eat? All right, and he's struggling. He's going back, but he said, okay, it's January 1st. I'm going to get out, and we're, we're going to walk. Uh, we're going to try to walk a mile a day. And I was the, his motivation. I was the one that helped him do that. Now, I do it because I'm his friend, and, you know, I was in his wedding and went through school with him, and I want him to be at my funeral, not vice versa. <laughs> and again, you can't control that, but I care about him enough, you know, that I'm not, I'm not making fun of him. I'm not picking on him. But most of you would look at your eating habits and say, well, I drink too much Coca-Cola or I uh, have too many donuts or something. And we all know this, but do you have anyone in your corner? Even boxers that go out and fight have got someone in their corner say, listen, you're getting hit by the jab. Oh, am I? Okay, right? 
Why are we out there walking alone spiritually? Why don't, I mean, you look at these four categories, and maybe you have your own categories. Maybe there's something you want to add to that. But don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. Most of the people that I look back, I've got a dear friend, he was in my wedding. Loved the Lord, had rich fellowship. He has totally, totally morally washed out today. And you know why? He walked alone. He got married, had his family, went back to Russia. He wasn't under a mission board. He wasn't under a church. He worked with a Russian church for two years. Then he went out on his own. He was isolated, no one to share things with, no one to pray with. And things just got hard, and there was temptations and pressures. And, and it's slow. It's slow. And if you got someone to walk with you when you fall, you got someone to pick you up. Well, let me pray for you. Let me come over and come over to my house. Now, a little footnote here is I would suggest finding someone and doing this with them for three months. Say, hey, I've been challenged to have a relationship on this basis for three months. Because maybe it doesn't turn out to be a healthy relationship. Maybe it turns out to be codependent. Maybe it turns out, you know, you don't help each other. And so after three months, you, you say, okay, we did it for three months. Now I'm going to try to find someone else. Don't, don't, don't come to someone and say, well, can you be my accountability partner? Question mark. What, forever? I mean, there's a little burden on that guy or on that young woman or on that older one. It's like, oh dear, you're, I, basically you're asking me to adopt all your spiritual issues for the rest of my, your life. I don't want to do that. And if anything, if we're healthy, you know, we could go from person to person and back again within a small intimate circle in some ways. I mean, you think about it, the lungs help the heart. The heart pumps the blood that helps everything else. The, le- the arms and legs swim to the surface so we can get air. The body ought to be working together on a certain level like that. Don't walk alone. Can you walk with the Lord and walk alone? Yeah, I suppose. I'm not saying if you walk alone, you're, you're headed for a moral washout. But I will tell you this, it will be more of a struggle, it will be more difficult, and you will not enjoy the camaraderie that the Lord has for his body and for his people. You're also tempted to pride, too, by the way. I can look back on my life, and every time I'm tempted to pride, it's like, no, this person picked me up, this person picked me up, this person picked me up. This, I didn't walk alone. In God's kingdom, there's no self-made people. None. Next slide. Number three, this segues a little bit, and this is similar to walking alone. It says, don't confess. Okay, if you want to fail spiritually, don't confess. This is a hard, this is difficult. But I put this up here, and right away, I know some of you think of this. Next slide. You think of that, don't you? All right. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you thought of the next one. I hope not. <laughs> Never thought Homer Simpson would make the powerpoint presentation right all right no when i talk about confession next slide i think of the scripture he that covers his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy that's black and white proverbs doesn't get much more simple than that if you confess your sin you'll have mercy but if you cover it if you cover it you won't prosper and i'm not just talking about aching right obvious a very stark illustration took the gold took the silver coveted hid it and it was revealed supernaturally who he was and he and his whole family were stoned i mean that's a very very stark and radical judgment of the first kind of sin of hidden sin coming into the promised land ananias and sapphira the first hidden sin of the early church i mean if god did this to all of us we wouldn't be here right but when you cross that threshold into a new situation, you cover your sin, God says, I'm going to show you my justice. Now, he's so wonderful and good, and you know, not to do that to all of us, because we've all covered our sin at different, different points. But you won't prosper. You won't prosper. I knew a young man that grew up, he was the son of a pastor, and his, his dad was vibrant, his dad was energetic, but he went off and served money. 
He moved to Manhattan. He was, he was working for some kind of Wall Street financial firm when the Twin Towers were hit. That shook his world. It wasn't about money on September 11th when he was dodging debris and ash. And that sent him on the way back to serve the Lord. And today he's full-time committed and loving the Lord in the ministry. But he had several years of loss and emptiness where he was the enemy of the cross of Christ. And I asked him a personal question. I said, well, listen, when you were a teenager, because he had a great home, when you were a teenager, was there anything in your life that you didn't tell your parents? And he laughed at a lot. You cover your sin, you won't prosper. Not all of us have that intimate, close relationship with our parents. But young people, if you're hiding sin in your heart, I want you to read this verse. Maybe you say, I can't tell my dad. He'll kill me. Maybe I can't tell my mom. He'll break her heart. You know what you can't do? You can't keep covering it. You can't keep covering it and get God's blessing. I'm not making that up. God hates covered sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then what do we have? We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Your attempt to cover your sin is basically saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus can't make it clean. Jesus can't redeem it. My, my ashes can never become glorious. I will never get back what the locusts have eaten. If you cover your sin and you get in the habit of it, you're headed the wrong way. You won't walk a victory, victorious spiritual life. And again, I don't mean just share with anybody. I don't mean just share with anybody. But there is great freedom and great power in confession. Next slide. James tells us this, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And you may be healed. Confession is half the battle, isn't it? I'm not saying it's easy. It's real difficult. But I'm standing here telling you you have to do it. The Lord wants you to do it. You can fear man. You can walk alone. You cannot confess. But that's not walking in the Spirit. The Lord has so much to offer you and so much open to you, but you have to confess. If we confess our sins, He is what? He's faithful. It means He does it every time. And He's just because He's already paid the price to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say confess everything you've ever done wrong. It says confess your sins. Confess the things you know you've done wrong and he'll take care of the rest, basically what that means. You confess your sins and he'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's pretty good. You get two for one, right? You don't have to go back in your life and think, well, what if I've done sins I can't remember? That's different than covering them, isn't it? I've found, and I've experienced this in my life, I've confessed sins and talked to my dad or talked to my wife or talked to someone and shared with them about the sins that I've fallen to and felt so free and so joyful and so close to the Lord and just wow I didn't know I could feel this way ever again and then all of a sudden I remembered oh another sin oh I'd forgot that one the Lord has a faithful way of cleaning out the closet and I'm glad doesn't it because he wants a clean and holy temple purified fit for the master's use next slide fourth one don't fight okay you got two do's and two don'ts i don't know if you noticed that fear man and walk alone and you'll fail spiritually the other two don't confess and don't fight now on one hand and for many of us fighting is the a carnal surrender to the flesh and I know I'm meddling here because this is Florida, right? We come to Florida because the weather is warm. And I'm not against moving to Florida when the weather's warm. I'm thinking about it. 
All right, I was born in Montana, grew up in Maine, and married a girl from Moscow where I lived for seven winters. Believe me, I'm thinking about it, okay? It's not wrong to retire and move to Florida. That's not what I'm saying. But it is wrong to look at retirement as I'm done fighting. You do not read that biblically in the Bible. There is a change in seasons. There's a place where the young men go out to war. There's a young place where they go become sergeants and captains and generals. And then there's a place where you become the wise men and the advisors. Right? Our bodies change. The seasons change. A new generation comes in behind us. A new generation is advancing for us. So there's places where the seasons in your life slow down. But spiritually, you are never to stop fighting. And our secular society is telling people the opposite. They're saying, hey, kick back enjoy life hang out at the beach go to disney world buy your yacht just take it easy and the riches of the world do what they choke out the word we are in we're not at daytona beach (laughs) spiritually we're in vietnam we're in the iraqi desert there is a spiritual war happening and you need to get involved by praying speaking fellowship we're not all teachers we're not all evangelists but there's people out there you're the light of the world you're not vacation i mean my wife gets frustrated because i'm more of an evangelist when i'm on vacation than when i'm home because when i'm home i'm in my office i'm calling pastors i'm calling africa i'm I don't meet too many unsaved people when I'm home. I go on vacation, they're everywhere. Unfortunately, people also get tired of fighting. They just get tired of fighting. What does the scripture say? Be not weary in well-doing. Sometimes we're tired. We're worn out. I'm not sure that verse says don't feel tired, don't, don't be weary. It says don't give up is the connotation there. I mean, you think of this. In 1940, okay, history buffs, in 1940, who had the greatest army in the world? Most people don't know this. I mean, you think about this. 1940, when did the war start? September 1st, 1939, Blitzkrieg. Poland falls. England's all upset. No one knows what to do. America says, stay out of it. Hitler had a massive machine that couldn't be stopped. But you know who had the greatest army in the world? Next slide. Oh, I missed one, didn't I? All right, do a little advertisement here. This is not from Proverbs. I got the wrong, but this is from Paul. Paul said this. I charge you and commit you that you wore a good warfare. Paul is saying this in prison. Paul is saying this away from Timothy. He's saying, don't quit fighting, young man. Don't quit fighting, Christianity is not just Michael row the boat ashore, right? Christianity is conflict. It's it's we're opposing evil. We're crucifying the flesh. I mean, this is he says some have put away a vague shipwreck. That's what I'm talking about. Next slide. Fight the good fight of faith. You know, some 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 people don't want don't like the connotation of war attached with our spiritual life. But Paul, as he leaves in Second Timothy, he says, "I have fought." the good fight i have fought now we're going next slide who is the greatest army in the world was france france had the most military they had the most tanks they had the best defenses france had the most modern advanced ready to go at army in the world and they fell in two weeks you know why it wasn't because they weren't equipped they didn't want to fight they looked back 20 years ago and they said we had a horrible horrible life it would be better to surrender to the enemy than live that trench warfare again that's what they thought were they right they weren't right next slide that's a picture taken in paris adolf hitler the promoter of nazi fascism jewish extermination dancing and having fun in the streets of paris took it without a fight 
virtually. But it wasn't because they weren't well-equipped. It wasn't because they, they weren't ready. They spent 20 years building the Maginot Line. They were unwilling to fight. Where are you spiritually? Where are you spiritually? I'm guilty of this. There are things and issues that I've quit praying for because it's too hard. I pray and God doesn't do anything. And so I move on. I've got other things to pray for. I exhort you to get back in the fight. You know who did fight? Next slide. This man. His famous words about Neville Chamberlain. He had to choose between dishonor and war. Dishonor to Winston Churchill was compromising and just turning the turning sideways when the fascists took over Europe little by little. He said he had to choose between dishonor and war. Guess what he chose? He chose dishonor. He chose compromise. He sat down and let the enemy take it, and now we shall have war. The truth of the matter is, if you don't fight, you're going to be a casualty. If you don't resist, if you don't stand up, if you don't fast and pray, strive, you shall have war. There's a lot at risk. Your soul grandchildren's souls people around your souls this church the life of this church your next door neighbor he's standing there in the house of commons all bombed out he's not surrendering he's not surrendering you know what he said he said we will fight them in the streets we will fight them in the hills we will never 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 surrender that's a secular historical example, but it rings true of what Christ Jesus, the captain of our salvation, has given to us as a heritage. We don't ever need to surrender because he's won. Now, I've been defeated. I've been broken. I've been guilty. I've been dirty. I've been ashamed. But Jesus picks me up out of the dunghill, takes me out of the horrible pit. He wipes me off. He cleans me with his blood. He puts me on a rock. He puts a new song in my mouth and he establishes my goings. And he says, keep fighting on, soldier. You only got another 25, 30 years. Some of you don't have that. Some of you don't have that. We don't know that we have another week, do we? Keep fighting. And I'm not talking your own strength. You can go back, just like Pastor Troy said the morning, said, Lord, I don't believe, but I found people out there that believe. <laughs> right? That's why, again, don't walk alone. Find out someone else who you can lean on their faith for a little while. You with me? Fear God and quit thinking about what man thinks of you. Find someone to walk with. My son is 15 years old, and I told him this month he has to find another man to walk with. I've been a good spiritual coach to him, and I've been a good dad to him, and he's doing really, really well. But I said, you're 15 now, and you're going to start, I'm going to, you need to learn how to start walking with other people. And you know what he said? He said, but Papa, he said, I don't know anyone else. Doesn't he go to church? Doesn't he have a youth group? He says that because he's 15. And I just smiled. I said, well, I'll help you find someone. But the tragedy is if he's standing here 15 years later saying the same thing. But Papa, I don't have anyone else. You go find someone. Confess. As hard as it is, as humbling as it is, it is one of the most healing things you can do. And many, many of you are smiling because you have the same, that testimony. And don't quit fighting. Don't quit fighting. You are called to a good warfare. It is a spiritual warfare not made of bombs or knives. It, the weapons are forgiveness. The weapons are grace. The weapons are good words. The weapons are good actions and good deeds. Sacrificial acts. 
praise, gratefulness. Those are your weapons. Pick them up and use them. Next slide. I guess that is the last slide. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so very, very much that you are a God who gives victory and fruit and hope. Lord Jesus, we are all targets because we have your name on us. And maybe if you're here today and you're not sure what I'm talking about, maybe you're not sure of the gospel, I just, I just want to present it very, very briefly and succinctly. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh and He came to earth not only to teach, not only to demonstrate, which He did, but He came to die on a cross for the sins of the whole world. That was an event 2,000 years ago, but today, if we believe that He did that, and we receive that personally as His payment for our sin, and we ask Him to forgive us of our sin, if we admit that we are not good enough for heaven, that we are not good enough for His presence, and we understand that the price He paid was His own life and His own blood to wipe away the guilt of our sin, and we asked Him to forgive us, He'll do that. He is willing to do that. And what He did 2,000 years ago physically, He will apply to your soul today spiritually. And I can't explain it because it is spiritual. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from sin and it makes you free. I have prayed the blood of Jesus Christ over wicked, evil things that I have seen over wicked, evil words that I have said, and I have emerged clean. It's not psychology, it's spiritual power. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You will be saved. And at that moment, God gives you a down payment of his Holy Spirit and a relationship is begun between God and you through Jesus Christ. And your faith, though very, very small, will continue to grow as you learn and follow and pursue and walk in His ways. What I've shared today are four of His ways. There may be more. I'm sure there's more. I haven't done a thorough search on this, but I see this in our culture today. And my great concern is that I would prepare a message like this and people would nod and people would agree and then nothing would change. So I honestly want to pray. Father in heaven, I pray that people will change because of your word here. Maybe people have been struggling here with different issues and and you've touched a button in their heart and, you, and a revelation to their eyes and their understanding says, that's what I need. That's what I'm doing wrong. Maybe I'm too much like Punchinello or I'm, I'm too much like the French who didn't fight in 1940. Or I haven't confessed this sin that's in the back of my mind. Maybe it's not all four of these. Maybe it's just one of these. I'd like you to build a little altar and say, yes, Lord, I will change this area of my life. I'm going to find someone to confess to. I'm going to change my attitude about fearing. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to find someone to walk with. Maybe it's just one of those. I want you to build an altar in your heart and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm going to make this change by your grace. I'm going to make this change this week. Maybe you're scared because you don't know whom you're supposed to confess to. You, you can pray to him, Lord, give me someone. Who does he bring to mind? Who can you trust? Who can you share with? Lord, whom can I walk with? Who out there is there that, with whom you want me to walk and maybe discuss some of these spiritual things on a consistent, regular basis? 
Dear Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our hearts and open up our eyes and our understanding. That this message might not be in vain and that we might follow the steps of good men. Though they have fallen many times, we might follow the steps of good men who were healed and renewed and encouraged and strengthened and were faithful. These things we commit to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Won't you stand with me? And um, I'm going to ask our prayer partners just to come here to the front. If we can pray with you about anything the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Um, as Dean was closing, um, he shared the very thing that the Holy Spirit was prompting my heart, which was to ask you, which is, did you say yes to whatever the Holy Spirit said to you today? And if we can pray with you about anything that's going on in your life, we'd love to be able to do that. It'd be our privilege. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for your work in us. And Lord, today, I say yes. And I pray for each of us that we would say yes to whatever you said, whatever your spirit has spoken to us, we would say yes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody on your way out.